Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is Epiphany Sunday, and we welcome the wise men to the Christmas Nativity. It's also the beginning of a new year, so let's ring in the new year with God. Join us for the message, Epiphany New Year. Welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today is Epiphany Sunday. It's also New Year's Day. I did come in here this morning asking everyone whose idea it was to have a live in-person worship service this morning. I said I wanted that person fired, but it was me. <laughs> But it is a beautiful morning to start off the new year. Uh, so Epiphany Sunday, we will be welcoming the wise men as part of our nativity, and also we'll be ringing in the new year with God. Also invite you, if you've not done so already this week, to give an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org. You can do that through that wonderful scan that we show, we're showing up there on our projection screen. You can do it through the Church Center app, or you can be old-fashioned and just write us a check, which we also greatly appreciate. And now for the first reading. It is found in the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the first 12 verses. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men came from the east into Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that, had, that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The story of the wise men has become the foundational story for the church's celebration of Epiphany. 
Now, Epiphany, as many of you know, is usually set on January 6th, which is this coming Friday. And that uh, concludes our traditional 12 days of Christmas. But in many churches, Epiphany is celebrated on the Sunday either preceding to or closest to the 6th. In the United Methodist Church, we celebrate Epiphany on the first Sunday in January, which makes today Epiphany Sunday. Now, the establishment of the Feast of Epiphany actually predates Christmas. In the early church, Epiphany celebrated multiple biblical stories. So in addition to the wise men, Epiphany commemorated both the incarnation and the birth of Jesus, as well as his later baptism in the River Jordan, and also his first miracle or sign in the Gospel of John, which is the turning of water into wine at Cana. The word epiphany itself is based on the Greek word for manifestation or appearance. So the Feast of Epiphany therefore celebrates the appearance of Jesus Christ, as well as all the ways that God's presence in Christ was made known or made manifest in a world that is in dire need of perceiving that presence. Well, eventually the church calendar, as we know it, was established. Uh, the church year begins with the four Sundays of Advent, followed by Christmas and the season of Christmastide, celebrating the birth of Christ. And in the modern church calendar, Epiphany remembers the visit of the wise men, and then next Sunday, January 8th, then traditionally commemorates the baptism of Jesus. And this whole story of turning water into wine at Cana, that is just dropped out of the whole Advent Christmas Epiphany map altogether. I think that maybe because the celebration of a miracle based on alcohol consumption was not the best thing to do around New Year's. But the story of the wise men remains. So who are these wise men? Well, the Greek word translated wise men is actually magi. And magi has the same root as the words for magic or magician. And we think they were priests slash astrologers slash astronomers from Parthia, which is modern-day Iran. Now, the ancient world would not have made a distinction between astrology and astronomy. And just to remind, astrology is the belief that the movements and positions of the celestial bodies have an impact on human affairs uh, and earthly events, particularly in the placement of the celestial bodies in relation to the earth at the moment of our births. And most of us are aware that we're said to be born under a sign such as Pisces or Scorpio or some such. By contrast, astronomy is the modern science and study of celestial bodies, including the study of such things as planets and stars and galaxies and the origin of the universe. And I can tell you today's science, scientists are very keen to differentiate between the ancient practice of astrology and the modern science of astronomy. But as I said, this distinction would be lost on the ancients. You see, for the Magi, the study of the stars was a vital part of their religion, and frankly, I can see why that is, because there is something deeply spiritual, I think, about the night sky. I, for one, I'm, I'm mesmerized by the night sky. Looking up at this heavenly landscape of stars and planets is, for me, a very deeply spiritual experience. When we look in the sky, we can find both order and mystery. 
Because year after year, we, we greet the, the faithful arrival of familiar constellations of stars, which God has given us according to the book of Genesis, for signs and for seasons and for days and years. But there have always been lights in the sky that defied the pattern. Now, while to our eyes the stars seem fixed in a firmament, meteors and planets and comets seem to make their own paths. They are wanderers. In fact, the modern word planet comes from the Greek word for wanderer. And the Magi in the Gospel of Matthew were certainly wanderers. And they were deeply acquainted with the stars and their seasons. But it was only through this familiarity that they were able to identify something out of the ordinary. They could only observe the wanderers in the sky against the backdrop of the unchanging stars. So I think Epiphany reminds us to be on the lookout for the extraordinary. Christ will be made manifest in new ways in each generation, new movements and new insights and new stirrings of the Spirit, or in other words, new epiphanies. We have to keep our eyes open. We never, must never forget that God is still speaking, that God's revelation didn't stop at the ascension of Jesus Christ or the close of the New Testament canon. But the thing is, we're going to be unable to identify these new epiphanies, however, brought to us through human experience and reason, if we're not already deeply acquainted with the ancient and the orthodox, that is, with our scripture and our tradition. Then, we must be willing to follow. Now, if you think about it, the Bible never actually tells us how many magi there were. We assume there are three, but that's because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We're never actually told how many magi showed up in Bethlehem. In fact, there is one ancient church tradition that said there were 12 magi. But regardless of how many magi there were, whether it's three or 12 or whatever, there were many more times, uh, many times more magi back in Parthia who saw the same star and did nothing. They were much too practical to follow after wayward stars. And so they remained safely anchored right where they were, and they never got to see the Christ child. Epiphany, then, is about the willingness to journey forward with the wisdom that's gleaned from deep engagement with our past and the vision that is inspired by the perception of new light for our future. And I think God still beckons us to follow, to follow with stars in our eyes. And now for the second scripture reading, it is found in the prophet of Isaiah, uh, chapter 43, verses 1 through 3, 18 and 19, and 20 through 21. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, the one who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. 
Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the, in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. The word of God for the people of God. Okay, how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? How many of you have kept all your New Year's resolutions? I'm glad to see y'all are all very honest. There's not a single hand up. Now, how many of you have ever made the same New Year's resolution one year that you make, and you make the same one the next year because you didn't keep it the first time? Well, I think many of us, and maybe most of us, make New Year's resolutions, at least occasionally, but with very mixed results. Uh, one person on social media posted that their resolution was to eat less fast food. They wrote, I made it all the way until lunch before going through the Taco Bell <laughs> drive through So I made it further than last year. Another person wrote, I will no longer waste my time reliving the past. Instead, I will spend it worrying about the future. And finally, a woman tweeted, Not even midnight, and I've already broken three of my New Year's resolutions and two of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I'd like to be with her. That just sounds like fun. Well, if you're like me, you start off each New Year with the greatest of intentions. This year is going to be different. This year is the finally going to be the year that I, you know, dot, dot, dot. And then we fill in the blank with whatever um, self home, relationship, life, work, improvement project that we feel the most guilty about. And chances are that we've made the same resolutions multiple times with less than stellar results. So we resolve that next year we'll get serious and finally succeed at that longed-for goal. Well, what motivates us to make these New Year's resolutions in spite of our dubious track record? Well, I think on the positive side, the fact that we resolve to improve ourselves shows that we are people of hope. We believe that God isn't finished with us, and we believe, as Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, that the one who began a good work among us will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. And in good Wesleyan fashion, we resolve to go on to perfection. And so in that way, we've kind of already done the hard part. We've admitted that we have a problem and that we need to change. In a sense, we have resolved to repent. We want to change the directions of our lives, follow a new path. Now, if you Google how to make New Year's resolutions stick, you'll find all kinds of advice, some of it very bad, some of it actually quite good. And so, because that's so readily available, I don't feel the need to repeat that type of advice that you might find. But I want to introduce maybe some biblical principles that, might, that we might want to keep in mind as we journey through this new year. As Garth just read, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers and the desert. Well, first of all, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. 
or as some people might put it, forget the past, which can be both good and bad advice. Because if you think about it, if we truly forget the past, then we're going to lose all that wisdom that we gain from learning from our mistakes. Our past can be a rich treasure trove that helps us understand where we've been and then perhaps also then where we're going. But sometimes we have to, if, if not forget our past, to at least let go of our past, to let go of the power that the past can have over us, to let go of the pain that keeps us from going further, and to let go of old patterns of behavior that no longer serve us, and perhaps they never did. Second principle. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Perceive what God is doing now, how God is making a way in the desert now. What God is actually doing may be very different from what you expect, and it may not be what you're looking for. What kept many from discerning what was happening in the appearance of the birth of Jesus Christ was that so many could not let go of the past, and therefore they could not perceive the new thing that God was doing. Because in the past, God had provided for the people of God by establishing the nation of Israel through the provision of an earthly king with military power. At the time of Jesus, when the Jews were living under Roman occupation, many in the religious and political establishment expected the Messiah to be this powerful political king and this military warrior, just like the kings of old. And that's why, that's why King Herod felt so threatened by the message of the Magi concerning the birth of the new Jewish king. But God was doing a new thing. They just didn't perceive it. And Jesus was going to be a, a king and a Messiah, but not like how anyone expected. So maybe God's doing a new thing in your life, but you don't perceive it because you're expecting something different. God's closed a door, but instead of looking for the window that God has opened, we keep looking back at the door from our past and expecting it to reopen to our old life. Third principle, I'll make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Uh, one blogger, I don't know who this guy is, but I think what he wrote was very wise. Robert uh, Wachter put it this way. It's important to trust that God is making a way into the unknown places that we can't handle on our own. If we have a dream that could happen without any assistance from God, then the dream did not come from God. The prospect of walking into our destiny should feel slightly overwhelming or perhaps even impossible without help from above. If we limit our future to what we can handle on our own, we'll not step into the deeper things that God is doing. Put another way, as Timothy Tennant, he's the president of Asbury Theological Seminary, puts it, a tip something so big that unless God intervenes, it is bound to fail. I kind of feel like that's what Trinity United Methodist Church has been learning to do in these last few months. We're attempting something so big and so wonderful that we have to rely on God to make it happen. So many people have commented to me, both in person and online, how great it was to hear me say during the welcome to the Christmas Eve service that we needed to get out more chairs because people were still coming in. Finally, I think it's important to not be too much of a perfectionist. Because remember, when we Methodists talk about going on to perfection, 
We're just talking about being perfect in love, not in everything else. For example, if you've, if you've resolved to read a chapter of the Bible every day, but you only get it to it five days a week out of seven, well, that's a lot better than what you were doing, and God is very pleased when we try, even when we don't do it perfectly. I mean, think about it. If you watch a toddler learn to walk, we delight in the attempt. We don't criticize a child when she falls. Instead, we encourage her to get up and try again. And I think it's the same with God. God delights in our attempts to walk the walk. When we inevitably fall on our faces, God doesn't criticize us. God encourages us to get up and try again and then gives us a hand, a steady hand to support us. The thing is, all we need to do is to be willing to take God's hand and to try again. You see, we rarely succeed when we rely solely on our own willpower. True change happens when we open ourselves up to God's grace and let God work a miracle within us. But for God to work a miracle, however, we have to, as they say, let go and let God. And so with that in mind, I would like, as I, as I always do, I love to start the new year with a recitation of John Wesley's covenant prayer, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the Wesleyan Covenant Association. This predates that. But I now invite you to rise in body and in spirit as we pray the Wesleyan Covenant prayer together. It's both in your bulletins and will be projected. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. And now, O oh, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine, and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let me ratify again. Amen. Now let us pray as um, our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so now receive this benediction. As you leave this place, go and follow the kings of old and continue on the road that leads to the Son of God and the light of life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we commemorate the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, or our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. 
If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church. Thank you.